um, we had no option than to be successful. Failing wasn't an option. When you take every penny that you've saved for two decades and you put into a business that you're not knowledgeable about, you don't have any other alternative to step up to the plate incredibly quickly because you've gambled not only your life savings, your family's future, everything on it. So if you want drive to get it right, I don't believe you can find any other way to give you the incentive to get it right. Hello and welcome to Propagate, the podcast that's devoted to young farmers and fishers. Today we're sitting down with Heath Cook, a dairy farmer in Dorigo, New South Wales. Heath stands out a little from the herd of dairy farmers because he bought into the dairy game relatively late in life after a successful career that had nothing to do with farming. It's a fascinating story and it's one that shows the value of setting goals and sticking to plans. And I suspect that even Heath would agree that there may be a little bit of stubbornness involved as well. My wife and I were, became interested in um, agri-Australian business um, probably close to two decades ago, 20 years. We looked at um, different models and we um, were very, very interested in the dairy, dairy industry. So we actually you know, set our heart on the dairy industry. And then um, about 15 years ago, we became serious about um, looking at venturing into the dairy industry. Before that, um, I worked in the mining industry Australia base, but I was starting to dip my toe into offshore, which has pros and cons. And I was starting to um, not spend time at home, seeing less and less of my children and my wife, which is, you know, that went against my um, my core principles. Um, so we started looking at an exit strategy. We settled on daring. We probably viewed daring a little bit differently even then. A lot of people take this as a negative, but we thought it as a positive. We didn't have any intergenerational succession planning issues so therefore we had the freedom to purchase where we wanted to purchase with no emotional pressure from families of course there's some negative there that we had to go and um, work for two decades to raise the capital and the equity to allow for us to venture in and purchase our own dairy farm but we didn't have to therefore take over from a family member so as i said there wasn't that emotional connection to the land where we decided to farm so that being said, we um, basically did a, a risk assessment. There was 10, 10 risks um, associated with our business venture. Five of them were unbreakable. So we looked at the biggest risks to purchasing the dairy industry, and one was rain, water. That was your biggest input, we believed. Second thing was obviously market, proximity to market. Third was competition. You know, We didn't want to have to have one single processor. We wanted a couple of processors to hopefully keep the price of, of our product up. And there was a couple of other things. At that time, I was still um, doing FIFO, fly in, fly out. So we needed you know, a good airport so I could dip my toe in the waters. Just before we changed over, I was actually running both at the same time to make sure it was going to work before I let go of the tree with one hand and found myself you know, like a monkey hanging onto no branches. So that was important. And also my wife had fully supported me in the mining career for um, two decades. And it was now my time to support her in the, her nursing career. So when we took all that in, um, we started at Atherton Tablelands and we worked down. We went down as far as um, Victoria. We didn't go to Tassie. Land price was obviously an issue. You know, Mullaney, Montville, Flaxton ticked all the boxes. Land was ridiculous and we couldn't get a foothold there. Tambourine Mountain, great proximity. You know, obviously elevation close to the coast, good precipitation. Yeah. 
we worked our way down and um, we found this little area here and um, we were very fortunate enough to be able to purchase here. I guess dairy farms themselves are held very, very carefully um, by um, intergenerational dairy farmers. Um, so we had to wait till one came on the market and we were yeah, fortunate enough to be able to um, purchase it. You mentioned that there are pros and cons to being a blank slate or a clean skin. There's some of the pros. What are some of the cons? Raising the capital to purchase into an industry that has a return on investment at the moment less than 1%, and that's a very hard pill to swallow. So if you look at it from a purely business transaction, unfortunately, you wouldn't venture into the business now, especially on a clean slate. Um, and so I know the next question is going to be, well, why did you do it? My financial manager at the time said, um, Heath, you're an idiot, and I strongly advise you against doing this. There was a bit of moral code came into this, a bit of um, self-worth. There's something pretty humbling and grounding about creating a product that's used by 90% of the Australians on a daily basis. There's really strong soul food knowing that everything that you do to your property benefits you and your family. I wanted something, a bit of a legacy, I guess. I wanted something a bit deeper than just having a managed fund and living off the return. I wanted to show my children that um, you can build a legacy if you work together, but also that the decisions you make have a ripple effect and you'll find that even though you didn't see they would impact upon other people, they will. So um, there was a fair bit of ethics, I guess, or soul food that went into our decision-making process. You know, like the return on investment is very, very poor. And ultimately, it has to be a business decision that's sustainable, no doubt about it. That's critical. But some of the, the flow-on effects are being able to tuck your kids into bed every night. As a father, being able to go to school and help with reading, kick the footy every morning before um, bus, they catch the bus. And that's a bit, that comes across as selfish, but the truth is, you know, I was able to make memories for myself for a decade, putting my kids on the bus every morning. And that's something I'm very, very grateful for because the circle of life is that they're leaving home now, they're fledging and they're out, you now they're going to spread their wings and dip their toe in the waters of the world as they should. I was very fortunate to be able to spend some time and um, I've become very, very close to my three, our three boys and I just don't believe that I would have had that opportunity to connect with them if I had to stay down the path that I was um, living. So the switch from mining to farming has helped the family life. But what about the change of location? Turns out there's a few perks there as well. We're 800 metres above sea level. Our average rainfall is about 100 inches a year. A couple of years ago when the kids were um, a bit younger, um, they all, the three of them, the three boys all did... Um, nippers so from where we are now if we get a good run down the mountain to the coast 45 minutes and you're in the surf um so yeah look all work and no play gets to you like so yesterday i uh, must have i went fishing yesterday and chased a a few reds around the coast so yeah it's it's a hard gig it's a tough gig it must be a bit of a departure from where you grew up i was based primarily in the northern territory so yeah it's very different there aren't too many rolling hills in the Northern Territory. Not green rolling hills, that's for sure. So, yeah, it's um, a really special part of Australia and we feel very, um, we appreciate it immensely for what it is. I guess, you know, ultimately we're all very proud of our own little, our own little kingdom and um, we're all biased and I think that um, this is a sensational part of, the, of Australia and we're very, very fortunate to be here. We should probably stop talking it up then. Oh well, yeah, yeah, exactly right. Rubbish place. Don't come up here. It's horrible. You'd hate it. You'd hate it. 
I think a lot of us fantasize about making huge changes to our lives, but not many of us actually do it, especially when it involves changing industries and investing large sums of money. And also, as humans, we have this strange tendency to define ourselves by what we do. So I was curious to find out about how Heath saw himself. Are you a miner who became a dairy farmer or are you a dairy farmer who was mining? It's a hard question. I think that for me, life is not mapped out. Life is a series of adventures spliced together and we call that a life. I'm a big believer that if you're on a path and you don't really like where that path's going, change paths, give it a crack. I think deep down, I may not have been a a dairy farmer who was a miner. I think I was a, a farmer who became a miner. I love dairying and I'm glad that I'm in the dairying industry and I'm very proud and very passionate about it. What did you find harder? Was it the business side of things or was it the actual farming side of things when you first came in? I was very naive when I entered into this industry. The learning curve was vertical. Um, I seriously underestimated the skills and knowledge needed. And look, I'm more than happy to put my hand up and say, if it wasn't for some local people who um, went out of their way to mentor me, that would be um, Donna and Adam Darley, and it would be Renee and Scott Connell, we would not be where we are today. They were fantastic. They wanted us to succeed. When they could see that we were failing, they interjected. You know, I owe them a lot. And that's a part of the beauty of the industry we're in. Even though we're all creating the same product, we're not in competition. I'm sure there are other businesses out there that sort of have that flexibility, but I'm unaware of them. You know, the truth is we, we're entering into the same market. So we're competing for market share. Yet at the farm level, there is no competition. We are there to support and help each other. And, and that is incredibly humbling. Um, I think it's very, very rare. How did it feel having strangers come in and kind of show you the way? Was that a tough thing or how did it feel at the time? No, I, I, I was actually grateful. I knew I didn't have the skills and knowledge, so I wasn't, I wasn't taken back. I'm pretty stubborn. I sort of learned from by trial. So some of the advice I would try and justify it and then I'd run with it. Um, and then as we become friends over the years, they go, you know, you're as stubborn as a mule. You could have done this five years ago and be where you are. But that's cool. That's a part of what makes me me. But no, I, I, um, I was very lucky. I, I knew that we needed help and um, I can't speak highly enough of them. We were very, very fortunate. That's the other side of the industry that a lot of people don't talk about is that people actually want to see you succeed um, and will go out of their way to do whatever they can to help you be so. That's, as I said before, I think that's really unique. So no, I, I wasn't taken back or confronted with people genuinely wanting to help. And um, where I'm able to, and without putting my nose in where it's not wanted, I now try to pay that forward. If we can, if I'm able to help anyone in any way, I'm more than happy. Like we're a team, we're a family, we need to support one another. If we can help each other, you know, how much of a better place would we be? You're not backwards about coming forwards when it comes to expressing opinion that you have. Is that something that you've struggled with or have you always been like that in this industry? I guess for the first decade in this industry, you know, ten the first 10 years, I was, I was fairly quiet or reserved, I'll use. I was very aware that I didn't want to come in and act like I'm um, a know-it-all and step on toes. But ultimately, in the last three years, I am watching 
good dairy farms that really did have good sustainable models just fall like decks of cards. Now, there comes a point in time where bad things are allowed to occur when good people don't stand up. And I really think that the, and I guess that's why I'm being so such a um, outspoken advocate for daring is that the time has come, guys. Like, and it also comes down to the type of people that are dairy farming. We get told, be resilient, be resilient, be resilient. I'm so tired of hearing that word. Resilient to what? Now, we have no more resilience left. We have harvested the low-hanging fruit. We have gone to every accounting, every, every type of help that is out there to help us be sustainable. Ultimately, we're not get, making enough return on our investment. We need to ask the public of Australia, do they want a dairy industry? And if the answer is no, then tell us. We will sell up and we will leave the industry. But if the answer is yes, then we need to change the status quo. We need radical change of our industry if we're going to be here. If we want food security, if we want to be able to have clean product, if we don't want to be drinking imported product, we've already got imported cheese. And and don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that um, Australia is the second biggest importer of cheese from America now, only behind uh, Mexico. So that's how free trade agreements work. So gets back to education. Let's make sure people know what we're about, that we're a sustainable product. We follow very rigid and strict QA. So, and buy Australian, be proud to buy Australian. Yes, it's not going to be the cheapest product there, but if you buy Australian, it means that your grandchildren will be able to eat Australian product. When you love what you do, you don't mind that extra um, that extra work that getting up early for five days six days seven days in a row if you're passionate about what you do no matter what it is you're happy to put in the blood sweat and tears and i guess that's a part of why we do what we do um, it's better the driving force behind the industry so yeah i don't think you'll meet anyone who's daring that is still in the industry that doesn't love it because it's just too it's too hard a gig to do if you're not in love with what you do yeah, I mean, how many 3am starts have you really got in you if you're not into it? Yeah, look, um, I must admit, you know, I'm not, I can't sum my life of the party, you know, come 8 o'clock, I'm, I'm looking for somewhere to go to sleep. And I think that's indicative of what we do. When did the first staff come on? We couldn't afford anyone to help us for the first seven years. It was myself, um, until we built our business up to a point where we could justify the payment of staff and that started off as a relief milker every second weekend and then it was a relief milker every weekend so we ran two milkers on alternative weekends and then we put on one staff member and like that it didn't happen overnight as I said it was it was a goal you know so instead of investing that money back into capex we invested that money back into labor family and time and all that emotional good stuff that I love so much is I wanted to build the farm as rapidly as I could to allow me to pay labour so I could spend more time with my family. And that was a, that's a, that was a part of my, my mindset. It took a while. And I, as I said, I'm glad I did it. I'm now standing here and I've got two kids at two different unis. And I feel very, very fortunate that I was able to do that and, and spend, you know, probably four quality years going to school and, and teaching them to play footy or helping them read at school. Um, not a lot of dads get that opportunity, you know, and I'm really grateful that I had that. And that's something that I remember for the rest of my life. I'm wondering how it felt when the first staff came on, because seven years is a long time to be doing 
doing it all yourself. It was a pretty awesome sleep in, I've got to admit. Yeah, it, it was great. It was great. And, and I guess that's, you know, we all have to start from humble beginnings. And so I really value what my, what our staff, I mean, this is my wife and I. So when I say me, I don't mean I'm speaking for Joanne and myself. I could not have done this without her total support. You know, there's been a lot, they say, oh, Heath, how do you go with your accountancy? You know, I don't understand MYOB. I don't get it. Without Joey, I'd be stuffed. I understand what the staff do and the sacrifices they, they actually give up. I mean, you got to remember... For me to be with my kids, they're giving up time to be with their kids. So I really appreciate what they do. As I said, I'm very appreciative of what they do for us to allow us to expand and grow our business. easy for me to say we want to create a sustainable business model yes I guess you've heard that to you blow in the face um, um we'll probably aggressively grow this dairy for another decade until I hit 55 and then we're looking at consolidating by then my youngest will be 26 he will know whether he's interested and now our other two sons will know if they're interested so by then if they're not interested, that's absolutely fine. Um, my wife and I intend to give a young family um, a crack at it um, and we want to do lease farming. Yeah, so our long-term goal is if our children aren't interested in the, in the business, then we would like to facilitate um, a young family into the business for you know, a long-term 10-year, 20-year um, lease arrangement. People love easy answers. So what's an easy answer for the person in the city who wants to do the right thing by a dairy farmer? Best thing you can do is not buy generic dairy product, okay? Support your local dairy industry. Cheese, yogurt, milk, whatever the product is, just buy local produce, local fresh quality produce. Do not buy generic anything when it comes to dairying. And also I'll reach out here and also say to our other brethren, generic breads, you know, the whole of um, all fresh food suppliers are under pressure. It's not just the dairy, even though I live and breathe dairy on a daily basis. I'm fully aware that everyone in the agribusiness sector in Australia is being squeezed. So I would say to all consumers, just by local produce, local fresh produce. That is the number one thing that we can ask you to do. And also reach out to us if you want to know about our product. Facebook, I'm not really au fait with it. My kids are teaching me. But look, get on Facebook. If you want to know more about the product, just do a search. Ask questions. You know, we need, as I keep on saying, we need to bridge the gap. And it needs to come from both ends. We need to try a bit better. And also we'd like a little bit more input from our customers. So, you know, I keep on getting on the path. Three things, advocacy, strong national advocacy and unity. Stop this splintering and this fracturing is number one. Number two, education. And number three, as I said, we don't want to be welfare recipients. We want to be proud farmers that create a sustainable, clean product for you, the customer. Help us achieve that.
this is truly my last question. What would you say if you saw the financial manager again? How's your relationship with your kids? And that was Heath Cook, who may not become the mascot for financial advisors, but he is a passionate voice for Australian dairy farmers. And I have to admit that since speaking with Heath, I have found myself paying a little bit more attention to things in the supermarket. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Propagate, which is proudly brought to you by the early risers of the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Young Farmer Business Program. My name's Corey Haig. Thanks for listening. <laughs>